Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Lady Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn Pearl, and tonight we have Amal Katrib. She's a senior data scientist, and she's now working on a few new ventures, including writing a book about how to assess health risks in a world filled with fake news. Really excited to talk about that. She's also working on a telemedicine platform called eSaha that hopes to connect more Doctors Without Borders to refugees and people in underserved populations. Really exciting venture. Before we dive in with Amal, I just want to shout out to all of our new listeners, all of our early listeners. Thank you for bearing with us during the early days of this podcast and subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you can subscribe, like, I know it's annoying to hear, but it does really help us out. And uh, now all of the episodes are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So if you want to listen on your way to work, uh, that's a great venue. So Amal, thank you for joining us. Okay. And I, I think I want to dive right into your book, I think, first is what I'm like excited to hear about. So tell us <laughs> that's a good where song. this concept came from and how it's going and what, what it's going to be about. So it's actually, to be fair, the book is initially the baby of a, of a UCLA professor. Uh, he's, he's, he's got a lot of clinical expertise. Uh, so he's very knowledgeable on the, on the medical biochemical side of things. Um, and it's also um, an ex-colleague from UCLA uh, who, was a, who was a postdoc for a while. And I think right now is also a, a senior data scientist uh, as well. Um, and uh, they were want they wanted to work on this book um, because now, especially nowadays, because of the pandemic, uh, people are receiving a flood of information. Um, and since we're all trapped inside, everyone is even more so on their computers and using the internet and, and in some cases, social media uh, as sources of getting uh, the information about what's going on, how bad, et cetera. Um, and so people are noticing like they're getting, like they're just, it's hard to tell like which of it is correct. Uh, what does this really mean? How do I know if this is actually affecting me? Um, so this is where it became even more so of a, a, a realization that this is something we wanna tackle. Um, it already exists um, in terms of diseases in general. So we wanna address it overall, uh, but especially now because it's really hard uh, for people to do so. I mean, whether, because there are many reasons why it's hard, uh, they can't tell that, which is correct. Um, some of it is because of the health literacy side, like the actual knowledge uh, of the biology and the biochemistry and the underlying everything. Um, but some of it is also the media literacy, which is how do you navigate this? Um, how do you actually, can, can you spot the delivery style, the communication method being used here? And how do you, what kind of skill set or mindset do you need to have uh, to be able to navigate this crazy world? So that's kind of the point of the book. So they reached out um, initially to take a look at the book, uh, provide some input. And I think we saw that there was a nice, uh, Different, different mindsets amongst each other because we've got the clinical medical side. We've got my colleague who is a statistician um, and you got me, which is more, I'm more on the biology uh, side of things. Um, so it was nice to convey all of those things, have a very uh, multifaceted delivery method um, for the book. And that's kind of what we wanted to get out and we're working on right now. And uh, let's see what the rest of the world thinks of it. Wow, that's really exciting. So. Is it is it a completed manuscript or are you guys you know still writing the chapters? 
Uh, a, a lot of it is actually written right now. Um, I think uh, we're, we still haven't reached out. We're going to try to reach out to publishers supposedly end of this year. Uh, so it's uh, I'm a little behind myself uh, on my part. But that's uh, that's the goal is to get these um, at least a few out to the publisher. But we have most of it down right now. Um, and awesome. uh, depending on the process, whether it's uh, a traditional publishing or self-publishing um, uh, yes. time frame of when it'll be out. Yeah, I'm actually going through a little bit of that right now with querying agents uh, for a book I wrote this year as well. And it's it's such an interesting process. So um, it, I found this Manuscript Academy. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a, a online community that you can you know, get some more input on your query process and how to get your manuscript published. It's been really helpful for my for my own journey with that. But I, I'm super excited to see the manuscript whenever whenever you're ready to share. Um, yeah, I would think love that. Good. It's actually nice to get the different perspectives because I think that's the uh, the point of it is, is that there's so many different sides and, and and it might be not the one ground truth. I think it's just nice to know sure. like when should you doubt this? When should you take it at face value? Um, so yeah, I would love to actually get that. Um, so yeah, as soon as we have something that's a little more uh, <laughs> shareable, looks good. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that's an interesting point with you know the different facets and the different views because of course we've both worked in these environments. When I was at the Institute for Systems Biology, we worked with clinicians on Huntington's disease, for instance, and they have such a different mindset. And I even did a clinical rotation um, at UW where I was going in with this clinician that I worked with and getting to see her interact with her patients um, that had these genetic diseases. And it was, you know, it was really powerful in a way because it just felt more tangible than what I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis with, you know, mining data sets and trying to understand the disease from this molecular level. So I think it's, it's kind of an interesting part of what we do as scientists, right? Is to to connect with people from like the different levels. Mm -hmm. um, no, a hundred percent. And uh, I think that's what I what we exactly saw, and that's kind of why we all decided to join in on this, is because we can't. No one has everything it, it entails. Like I exactly, I don't. I don't have the one-on-one -on -one, uh, experience, and I'm after all also not a clinician. Um, so there is, of there's that mindset, there's that experience that comes in handy. But at the same time, I'm, I, I dabble so much into the underlying biology, and that's also really precious to know. Um, and computationally, like we wanna know how all the little biases that we don't notice uh, when we do the analysis, we just do it because that's the standard approach. But sometimes, is it true? Um, just because this is what everyone does, does that does not make it correct. Um, so it's nice to yeah get all those different perspectives. Um, and I yeah I'd love to see more of that even in scientists, like people like just branch out of their own uh, uh, comfort zone, whether delve into something themselves or collaborate with others that are outside their fields to bring in the different perspective. Absolutely, and that reminds me of something in your email where you mentioned chasing after techies to you know keep the science and data science can you talk about that experience at all yeah this is uh i, I tell people sometimes i come across as very this old-fashioned uh, scientist of a mindset 
um, because uh, a lot of times uh, I actually initially when I got into computational biology, so that's most of what I did. Um, I was focused so much on like, oh, let me acquire uh, the computational skill sets. Let me do this. Let me do more of that. Oh, now I want to even go even more advanced. Uh, now, I'm, now machine learning is average. Let's go into deep learning. Let's go into like so many different levels. But then I noticed that people started fixating so much on that side, which is one layer. So the data uh, side of things um, with sometimes, and that's was strange to see a little understanding of what that data is, what it means and what to even do with it. Um, and that's when I noticed that actually we have a different problem sometimes. And it's not, of course, everyone, but it is not uncommon to see that people um, just go with the data and process it and they might have no background in it. Uh, and that's okay, you would not expect it to have everything, but you could also reach out and talk to people and get their perspectives. And that's kind of what was what I felt like in general, my role, um, whether it was in the PhD, whether it was later on, um, was more on the, oh, let me just tell you why you might want to incorporate here a hint of uh, a priori knowledge, because um, it will get you some of that signal that you lost right there, because you can actually uh, shrink it down uh, and safely so. Like you're not actually, I mean, you account for that as a bias, but at the same time, it is safe because you know you're looking at this. So it's a, for example, if you want to study, uh, let's say, uh, something related to pregnancy and you're interested in the placenta, um, if you, you can actually like try to remove some of the genes that are not at all related, uh, for example. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of those things like, you. of course, I don't expect everyone to know, which is why it's good to even if, if you can, yeah, have the science is great, but if not, reach out to those who really understand that data. Uh, so that's what I want, like, like uh, seeing in data science is the scientific side of it, which is going through the scientific method, kind of that uh, you have an idea in mind, you collect your data, uh, you analyze, uh, you see some things, oh, now you collect even more data, now you bring in some different perspective. Um, and I told people like kind of the job of a detective um, when they go to a scene, like a crime scene. Um, I mean, the detective, of course, has experience, uh, have, has some understanding of knows where to go. He doesn't just randomly collect data. Uh, he doesn't just process and think, oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, he, he goes between the two. And I think that's kind of the converged uh, framework that I like, the data and, uh, and a priori knowledge and hypothesis that I like seeing. Um, so more of the scientific method approach in data science and uh, yeah absolutely yeah no I think that's so important because one thing I was impressed by so similar to what you were talking about with computational biology and wanting to gain the skill set that was something I came into graduate school you know I, I didn't know how to code I wanted you know I wanted to gain that skill set and as soon as I started analyzing you know big data sets I realized just like the wealth of data that we have available to us in this day and age for biology, right? Like all of these different organizations putting data on geo public databases that you're able to just download and analyze. And it's almost like there's not enough computational biologists for us to really parse it and understand it and understand what the value is in these different data sets. Like there's just so much out there at this point. And it keeps getting generated, right? Like we keep generating more and more data and it, it's just crazy. Like, you know, the needle in the haystack of a hypothesis that could allow us to understand a disease or understand a drug 
Um, I think that requires what you're talking about with um, the scientific approach and the, the biology lens and understanding, you know, the tissue and the genes that are being expressed and all of that. Because when it comes down to it, my opinion of data science is basically you, you need to be able to understand, you know, the signal to noise. That's kind of the essential thing. And in order to generate high quality signal, you need to, you know, clean the data set. Like you need to focus on the genes that are of interest or the, the gene pathways that are of interest and not just look everywhere, right? Because otherwise you're, you're, your uh, false discovery rate is going to be impacted. Exactly. Um, I mean, a good, actually, yeah. I think this is a big focus uh, nowadays is because we are all trying to get into the blood-based uh, biomarker side of, of things uh, because it'd be nice to actually be able to uh, diagnose something or infer like what stage of the disease you're at or what but course of treatment is best for you by looking at your blood. Uh, but I think this is where that comes in handy uh, when you're able to, to distinguish based on like the organ specific or tissue specific or even cell type specific uh, uh, like expression patterns, uh, you can actually safely isolate the signature that you're most interested in. Um, and I think this is a, a big focus on a lot of efforts now, because as I said, they want to try to see a way where we can take these findings to the clinic and blood is one of the easiest uh, ways we can uh, do so. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, I think more and more, I'm hoping to see more of this, like people realizing we need both. Uh, that again, the hypothesis mindset, but also the strong data and computational mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one area that I'm excited about for, you know, big data or biomarkers like you're talking about is where the higher dimensional data acquisition is actually what's allowing for us to detect signal. Um, so I think of a company like Grail where they have a blood test for a pan cancer blood test and they're able to take someone's blood and say you have early stage ovarian or you have early stage pancreatic cancer i mean that's you know that is the holy grail in a lot of ways that's what the company was named for so i think <laughs> i think we're getting there in a way like there there is some exciting venues for high dimensional data and maybe we can touch a little bit on on the lack of progress though because I feel like there there's also this whole realm of like not enough signal like there's just you know and machine learning like that gets thrown around all the time or AI um I'd be curious for your thoughts on on like the negative side of like how we hear oh AI is just going to change our world and machine learning yada 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 yeah, and I think so. And the, the thing that I related to what I was commenting on before, um, the idea is like, just because we have all of this doesn't mean you shouldn't think through the problem. Um, and I think we lose so much by not thinking through it. Um, kind of like, for example, like you don't always have to add in hypothesis or prior information, but sometimes if you really think about it, I'm like, huh, actually, if I do this here, I can like focus my work on this side here. And now I'm actually able to see more of a, a stable uh, patterns. So for example, if you're trying to get something reproducible, I mean, good luck. Sometimes it's really hard, uh, especially when you're going on the protein side of things. Uh, but you can also try, oh, if you 
that's why you have to think a bit through that problem. But what do I really want? Maybe I don't really care necessarily about the stability here. Maybe I want to go beyond just looking at the one biomarker. Maybe I want to look at the, the, the congregation of those, at a few of them, because those few here represent um, a pathway uh, or a certain characteristic uh, that tells me something about this disease, that can tell me if you're, for example, uh, going right now through a, a bout of uh, high inflammation, high uh, uh, immune response, what it's, et cetera, versus you're going uh, through something that, that's more on the necrotic side of things uh, or, or even metabolism alteration side of things. And I think the idea is keep thinking through it. So just because you can gather all this information and you can apply all these fancy tools, I mean, anyone can take a, a course in data science these days online and, and learn this, but not everyone has the ability to think through this. And I think this is where it's key to actually think through the problem instead of just throwing in all these fancy tools that some of them are not even geared to this problem. Like if you have a small data set, I mean, in, in certain cases, because you can't actually have more, we can't gather more, um, what do you do then? Um, chances are that, that was fancy, the fancier and fancier tools won't actually do that here. Uh, but and it's, again, different problems for a different case, but I think again, goes back to just think, keep that scientist in you alive and think through your problem. Absolutely. I love that. So I'm curious, you have had a really interesting year. You've, you've taken some time off from, you know, a traditional employment, I guess. Uh, and I think one thing that's typical of people like us in this career path is that we don't necessarily take a lot of time off. I mean, I know for me, I got to a point where I realized I had I hadn't taken significant time off until just before I started grad school. And that was in 2013 and we're now in 2020. So Same. <laughs> how has, how, like, how has this time off been for you? I read your article also on the, the, is it the Lebanon mountain trail that you Oh no. Yeah. I ran. Anyone would even notice that. And I just randomly added <laughs> it. There. But yeah, oh, that's awesome. Well, but I'd love to hear about, you know, the, the value of this time off for you and how that changes how you think about the world and how you think about yourself as a scientist and kind of the, I mean, obviously you have lots of new directions you're going with things. So maybe you can touch on that a bit. Yeah, I think this is, um, so self-reflection is something many scientists I think in general do. Um, and I maybe take it a little too much, <laughs> a little too far. Uh, but I think that's part of like what, kind of like leads to those uh, decisions in my life where I want to take a tiny bit of time off or I want to uh, adjust my focus or I want to dabble into something else. Um, and as you said, like, I think a lot of us uh, in science don't fully take time off. Uh, but I used to tell people like there's a difference between taking time off from something you feel like you have to do uh, versus something you really love doing and you're obsessed with because you actually this is your passion. Um, like there are times I'm playing the piano nonstop on end, but I mean, should I feel bad about it? I love that. Like, like that's my passion. Um, and I see that sometimes with science and again, science being whether it's research or related to that. Um, so teaching, writing, et cetera. Um, it's, we never take a, like a lot of time off because we want to dabble. We want to play a little bit more. It's our little game. It's something we love. Um, so I, I honestly like, yeah, as, as you said, I actually hadn't taken like full time off, like properly, um, except yeah, the last time was before uh, the PhD, which was actually also 2000, I think 12 or 13. 
And, uh, but even now, like I I am taking some bit of time off, but it's actually not like really off. I mean, I'm right now in the office. Uh, so there's uh, a lot of like, oh, what do I want to do? Here's what I, uh, this is a new idea that I want to work um, on. Um, this is a, I want to put out uh, this uh, startup that I had worked on before with the uh, UCLA students slash alumni. Um, I want to get this book going. Uh, I want to actually get back to uh, focusing on women's health. Um, so that's uh, always going to be, I think, in us. And I think that's what drives us. We love it. Not, no one is selling us to do it. We just want to do it, but that's, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, nice to have. And, um, and I think that the hint of time off or shifting from your traditional uh, work is what, is what allows you to actually think what is actually the most important thing to me right now. Um, and that's what I'm doing is uh, why do I want to uh, focus on this? Because I've always said I wanted to actually do this. So going into women's health, because honestly, I wanted to work in an area where I was seeing very little attention. Um, where it wasn't the most, uh, it's, it wasn't the sexiest topic in terms of funding, honestly. Uh, but honestly, there's a lot of unmet needs. I'm like, hmm, I always said that. Actually, I should then go back to that if that's what I care about. Uh, so that's what the bit of time off from your typical day-to-day -day, uh, helps do. So are you, are you working full-time on your startup or is it like a self-funded I work on my different projects as much as I want I'm just curious like in general how your what your, what your days are like or how you split up those different um paths so this is also pretty recent um anyways where like I had actually the more flexible Okay, to be fair, I like a flexible schedule, so never mind. Uh, I always have, I'm obsessed with having a, a non-defined uh, uh, like schedule of, of for work um, because I do like working, mm -hmm. for example, in the evenings uh, and running to the mountains in the day. But uh, so I, so for the previous startup, and I said I wanted to revive this one that we, we have right now, it's uh, incorporated, um, and you alluded to it earlier in the intro, uh, which is the telemedicine uh, startup. Um, and that one, so it started actually when I was doing towards the end of the PhD. Um, and we're actually, we're a, a few people that were involved in it. Um, and yeah, we had, we had secured a bit of funding um, and we went to uh, do a lot of pitches and we even got to go to Dubai for a random uh, pitch. Uh, it was a contest that we got selected for as finalists or regional finalists rather. And um, yeah, so we were then had we had a little bit of fund uh, accumulated to help support it. But other than that, the cost was actually pretty minimal that we didn't actually have to seek out um, a lot of uh, outside funding um, and everything like in terms of uh, whether it was uh, having the server, having um, even the hosting, um, all these things uh, where it was actually from our own pockets. Um, and that was easy to do because again, it's telemedicine where it's everything is on online um, and at the time it was meant to be specific so we're specifically focusing on refugees so it was actually a free uh, like free service uh, so the idea connecting volunteer uh, medical providers to those who need it so then there's also no cost to anyone actually so to keep it going was actually pretty uh, low cost and that's why it was uh, easy to do that uh, I think for the remaining ventures, which is what I'm hoping to get back to, which is the women's health side, uh, because in terms of I, I 
saw that in research and I randomly stumbled upon that that was actually not my background. Uh, my background was more on the neuro side of things, um, uh, dabbled a bit into cancer, but again, still more on the neuro side. But I randomly got this data set and it was at the time for human placenta. Um, and I was playing with it initially it was just so I can get familiar with RNA sequencing, um, just know the different layers of analysis you can do. And it was just a, a quick thing to play with. But then I noticed when I was doing just reading papers to learn more about, honestly, I don't know anything about the placenta, uh, that there was so much that actually wasn't being done there. Um, and then so much of the focus of the advances in the computational side not being applied there, where they actually could use some of that. Uh, but the reason I actually was seeing it even from my own experience, um, it wasn't getting the most attention because it wasn't like the topic to Again, not what I tell people, the sexiest topic when you apply for grants. So even when I was going to apply for things, that one was getting actually the least funded, um, but then all the other ones that were already super funded to begin with, like so many people are working in these uh, fields, uh, but they were the biggest attention because, oh, this is the new cool thing. This is the new cool tool. We can do this. But even though people are not realizing there's so much right now not happening in a field that really needs it, um, and that's what I'm going back to. Uh, and for now, uh, where uh, there's no funding that I'm sec I secured yet for that, um, because I'm just thinking through that with a, a friend of mine uh, on how we want to approach this. Because do we want to go the venture to venture capital way for this, or do we want to do a crowdsourcing uh, or different uh, way? Um, again, depending on the objective or the goal with this. Um, I think that's the what we're trying to figure out um, before jumping into the funding, because then that gets very tricky to fix after. That's awesome. I and I'm I'm really excited to hear you say that this is something you're passionate about because I talked to Ali mm -hmm. as well for the podcast, and I think through working with her at ISB, I did gain an appreciation for how underfunded women's health and reproductive health really is and how little we know like we I talked about asking my doctors you know what they know about pregnant women being on a particular medication and it's you know the data is just really hard even for me as a scientist to get a hold of and understand because there's so little of it out there so um it's that's awesome and if there's anything I can do to help with with that venture as well please hit me up like um, you know, I know a few people in the VC space, and I think it's so important that we, you know, generate better data sets, but also have um, more clear understanding of how our world impacts, you know, pregnant women or women in general. Um, exactly. And that's why we're so, that's why I meant like when I, I, in terms of funding, like we're taking our time with that aspect, because I think uh, we're asking ourselves, like, what is our goal? After, like with this, like, do we want to just have something that's, yeah, that's stable, that's guaranteed route, um, like that we know is going to fit right now with the, uh, the, the exciting uh, feel, like right now what's really exciting is the focus on biomarkers, let's say, uh, on collecting on, uh, uh, like on multi, doing multi-omic profiling, uh, gathering as much about this condition so we can really say what's happening. The problem comes when it comes to women's health, uh, especially if you're going on the hormonal side of things, we don't really understand what it means. 
Uh, it's really hard to, to know. Uh, again, there's so many layers of difficulty. So are we gonna go do that, that, that route? Or do we wanna try to even reach more, like more of the masses? Do we really wanna reach those that most people are just not addressing because Again, they're, they're, that's not the most stable uh, like revenue source, revenue stream, if you're gonna just fixate on that population. So that's kind of what we're trying to, that's why we're taking that part a bit slow uh, because I think that's gonna impact again, how we proceed with this. And we wanted to do something that honestly can reach the people that don't get it. I wanna reach those who don't know anything about their health. Those are the ones I wanna reach. Um, so how do we do so in a sustainable uh, way? And that's kind of what we're thinking uh, about. And uh, yeah, I actually would love to, I, I wanted to bring it up to, to you. I wanna bring it up to Allison. Um, and I want it to be a community and honesty effort even more so than just the typical traditional uh, pure VC funded uh, style of work. Uh, because mm -hmm. honestly, I think it's a field that needs it to, to actually get it going to a point where we see a, ma a major change on the clinical side. So how about we Absolutely. all together? Yeah, I think of I think of a nonprofit like the Allen Institute where Paul Allen wanted to put a lot of funding into generating these really high depth data sets for the brain so they have um, the Brain Institute, which I've utilized that data. It's an amazing data set. Um, they now have the Allen Institute for Immunology. It's too bad they don't have the Allen Institute for Pregnancy because there really is such a need to generate this type of data. And it's, you know, your women are pregnant for nine months. It's a, it's a pretty long time course study that we're talking about. Um, and you can imagine just the number of variables that you might want to capture um but what a what a resource that could be for for researchers so um and i think it's actually a problem that i i mean again this is maybe my biased opinion but i think it's more solvable than some because a lot of times like we're trying to predict things that may happen, but we don't know the outcome and we don't even know what the starting point is. But pregnancy is beautiful because you kind of have an idea when, and you kind of have an idea when it, like when it starts, when it ends. Um, so it's, you have kind of that uh, bounded uh, uh, time frame that allows you to actually see uh, changes and you, and chances are you're going to see things that are early on the mechanisms that were happening early in early pregnancy being chances are complete opposite of later on when you want to, so you want to keep the baby or you want to kick the baby out. Um, so it's actually a very strong signal um, and then we have some idea of the changes. So in terms of address, like studying it, I think it's actually a very, uh, an easier one to even approach than some of those that we don't even know when they start and don't know if you're going to have a, that disease or not. Um, but as, as you said, there's very little funding there and people can actually see how, how much funding uh, these topics get by looking at the NIH website. Um, they actually put down usually how much, like in general, how much money went into grants, went into supporting uh, the different topics. Uh, and pregnancy, if you look into that, um, like preterm labor, et cetera, was, was getting very, very, very little uh, in terms of how many people, like how much if you look at how much time or how much uh, life was lost uh, for that versus the others, uh, they were actually, again, not getting a lot of money for, for something that do, does really matter because I think people are just not even paying attention to that. 
so yeah, I want to see more of that. And if it could be a community, a big effort, uh, if everyone is as excited and make that change, I'd love to go down that route. Absolutely. So one thing I'm curious about, have you, have you ever considered doing another postdoc? Because that was something when I had some time off this year. And I think similar to you, you know, you have these lingering questions. There's like these lingering research questions that you've always kind of wanted to figure out. And I thought about, well, maybe I should just go and do a second postdoc somewhere and, and be able to, you know, work in a lab again and, and, and study this thing that I'm, that I'm interested in. Is that something you've considered at all? Uh, I think it depends on what I what I want to do. It depends on the person, of course. Like, if your goal is that you want to acquire a skill set or you want to better understand this environment or this field or or what this uh, work entails, uh, then yeah, that's one side. For me, I think I'm more. I want to actually get these things out so they make it to the public and make that change. Um, so beyond just like, I guess, even beyond academia, I mean, even beyond industry, because uh, they're still driven by a specific goal in mind, I wanted to get something truly to the community. Um, kind of this whole like decentralized approach to healthcare, like I want to show that we care. Like I want you to have like a handle of your own health so you can have a voice and actually care for your own self um, and feel like you are able to do so. Um, and I think for me, I want to be more on that, which is actually take that action. So take, like, take that step and plunge into it uh, more so than getting another skill set. Um, like that would, of course, be helpful. Sure. But I think if I if I don't do like I'm struggling already. Like it's always hard to get things into action, and I think I just that's already going to take a lot. That I'm just going to dedicate all my energy right now to that, and hopefully, and see where it goes. Uh, but that's I think right now my biggest. Um, focus more so than skill set um, or also awesome. maybe later though I, I might uh, I probably will have to because I'm still not the expert <laughs> uh, there's a lot to learn in women's health and I am far far from understanding even one percent of it <laughs> <laughs> can you touch on kind of your unconventional path in in science and what that's been like for you uh yeah and you commented, I, I definitely have a very uh, zigzaggy uh, way of doing it in science and I guess doing it in life as well. Uh, and it's something I just have, I enjoy that. I don't like having the steady anything. Uh, so like for some people having a stable career, having let's say a guarantee like income, source of income, uh, et cetera, is good. For me, For in some cases actually it's terrifying. <laughs> which is odd um, and not necessarily the typical. Um, and I can't explain it. Maybe it is a bit of craziness, but I think it's uh, what it is that I like. Like if I think this is an exciting thing and it's necessary to work on, I want to do that. Uh, and I want to dedicate time to that. Um, so that's why I varied uh, the things I've done. Um, even in science, I vary them so much. So sometimes I'm doing, yes, the pure scientific research side of things, so that's like the PhD, the postdoc, it's, um, and even like when I worked um, in the startup uh, and industry um, in biotech, it was still heavy on the research side of things. Uh, but then I also enjoy 
the communication of science uh, because that has so much effect under whether it affects us directly with our research or uh, have the appreciation amongst the public uh, for it because ultimately I want the public to benefit from this research. Uh, so I've dabbled into um, different things, like, for example, that the book that I'm working on right now. Uh, in the past, I've uh, uh, helped done a lot of uh, the script editing. Uh, so uh, living in Los Angeles, of course, uh, it's fun to dabble into the entertainment business a little bit. And I found it exciting. Um, and the, I remember the American Film Institute was looking for science advisors um, for the conservatory fellows. And uh, so they have a few science based scripts that they just wanted people to kind of guide this, uh, people like to get their input on and uh, uh, just to make sure that the science is correct or the information is, is relayed uh, uh, appropriately to the public. And uh, I thought that was really fun to do. Um, so yes, here I'm, I'm applying my science to something that's not typical uh, of, a, of a scientist work, uh, career path. Um, and, uh, and teaching was another one that I thought was really fun to do. And I know a lot of people that have done it. Uh, some end up realizing how much they absolutely love it. And some just do it because they have to as, it, as uh, if they go into academia. But I thought that was also really fun to do because you also get to really understand your science when you have to take it down to the basics and be able to explain it to someone else who has no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I think that's when you start really developing that deep level of understanding of your science. Uh, so I've done many different types of teaching, uh, whether it is uh, like undergrad, like university teaching. Uh, so I did, I recently taught at UW um, and it was of course virtual because we're in a, uh, in a pandemic. Um, but yeah, so I did like some of that, um, but I've also taken it like down to the mentoring side where I'm working uh, with, uh, let's say, gifted high school students that are doing their own uh, research projects because they want to. So helping them like find uh, spaces like to carry their carry on their experiments, helping them find uh, the funding, helping them think through the ideas or assumptions that they're making. Um, that's a fun science exercise that's not directly related, but I think again helps me get an even deeper level understanding of my science. Um, and I think it's fun to be able to do those different little things. Um, so it doesn't have to be just the research of typical of academia or teach or the typical teaching um, or even industry. I think people think, are you doing this or are you doing that? I'm like, you can honestly do it all and pick and choose. Um, it depends on what interests you. And for me, that that chaotic style, the dabbling into everything is actually what drives me. And uh, I was glad that I could do that with science. Yeah, that's awesome. I know on your, your Twitter, you have something like teetering on the edge of chaos, which I love. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, that's like so descriptive of my life as well. It's like, I honestly knew you'd relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> like if I don't have a million projects going on like you know something's wrong so and we um, enjoy it that's the thing like it's I know yeah and like why, why change that like I think before when you're younger you're a little more self-conscious and uh you still have a little bit of that imposter syndrome which I think when you're older you just I just don't care anymore you know what even if I think I'm maybe yeah. I am I don't care I feel like this year in particular with my writing and with with certain aspects of my life I, I've been self-assessing like was there something holding me back before and what was it 
And I think part of it is finding your voice. It sounds cliche, but it's like, it's like, you know, I kind of knew I had a voice before, but I just didn't, it wasn't being fully expressed. And I feel like this year, for some reason, I'm just like, here I am, you know, I'm doing all these things now because that's who I am. And like, I'm completely comfortable with it. Um, but I wanted to highlight something you said about the science. And I think something I heard recently that is super important is that the science isn't done until it's communicated. And I think that's part of what this podcast is all about. And part of what I see our roles as is like, we can't just live high up in this castle with this information and keep it to ourselves, right? Like our job isn't done until we share that with others and we say, hey, this is how I think about things or this is how um, this drug is made or this is how this vaccine works. Like, I think that's gonna be really important in the next couple of months is communicating to others what this vaccine is all about and why it's important. Um, so it's it's just nice to hear that from another scientist that you care so much about that aspect of our jobs. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, and again, everyone is driven by different things. Like I got into science because, I mean, yeah, call it naive. I wanted to actually do something with it. I wanted to actually see it used and benefit, like to and have others benefit from it. And that's what got me into it. Um, honestly, if it was purely to make money, I mean, there's many different ways to do that. Um, yeah, I want to be able to live and I want to support myself, but I think I want to be able to see the signs really lead to something. Um, so getting it to people, uh, that's ultimately the goal. And that's why, and I know we're not told this or we don't, we're so busy with our research. Sometimes we don't have time to even think of, like to, to think of this or even dedicate any energy uh, to it. But I think sometimes that's actually some of the most that you would, you should dedicate your, energy too because that's ultimately what you want to get like what you want to do with this um again depending perhaps on the goal that you have in your life but if your goal is to get your science to the public then yes communication is very key um and knowing like understanding it like again like developing that ability to to understand it amongst the public um is critical because that also shows that you really understand it as well um, so yeah, I honestly dedicate a lot of times to whether it's the through writing or even visualization, which I'm beyond obsessed with. Uh, it's a little worrisome how obsessed I am. I think I'm drawing more than I'm even sciencing sometimes. Uh, but I think that's actually, really? yep, uh, a little too much. Drawing like illustration? Uh, so I, so it's a lot of times I think the, so no, more on the figures, but kind of uh, putting together your results in a way um, where it's, uh, you get your message through. So I think a lot of times people just, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to plot it out in here. I'm like, you realize how much you miss. You actually miss like ability to see a signature here. That's really interesting mm -hmm. or conveying how important this is of a, uh, of a, again, uh, of a question to ask or, or even a result. Um, so visualization is, I think, super, super critical, even for scientists. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time thinking, okay, what is my point behind this? What am I trying to achieve with this? Um, and then how do I best do so? Um, and since for some reason, I'm very, very obsessed with really, really good graphics, I actually end up spending a lot of nights, a lot of all-nighters, honestly, <laughs> purely doing that. So taking it from yeah. the to illustrate or to beyond. I'm glad you brought that up because I, when I was talking about having you on the podcast to, to Jeff, my husband, 
he said, what's a data scientist? And I was like, I was kind of breaking it down for him. Like a data scientist is a computational biologist. They are looking at data sets. Um, they're, you know, discovering hypotheses, but a lot of it is data visualization. And I, I definitely learned that very quickly at ISB when I was in, you know, the price lab where figuring out the best ways to plot these things in R. I was like addicted to Plotly and like making pretty figures. And that was a lot of like what my time was spent doing. And I think you're right. It's that's going to be the critical piece of how you communicate what you found in this data. Um, and it it is it is such a rabbit hole too, in a way. Yeah. But, I mean I think it's a chunk of the work, like the analysis sometimes, I mean, even big data, yeah, it's running uh, like on a cluster, so I'm not on it sometimes, uh, but even analyzing it and all that, that's a percentage. But then what, what this means, how do I best convey this? And even for me to perceive a pattern uh, or maybe think of something new that I hadn't thought of before, that's where the visuals again come in place. Oh, that's probably, I can even say up to like 80 to plus percent uh, of the work because again, it helps me, it helps others and kind of gives me that, ooh, interesting. I'm seeing something here I didn't think of before. Um, so yeah, that's why I end up actually spending a lot of time on that. And uh, yeah, I, again, I take, I take it a little too far sometimes. So that's, uh, everyone notices. So they all started sending me all their plots and and their results are like, oh, can you, can you do this? I'm like, Okay, <laughs> I, I can't be my only job. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like the the uh, event planner, you know, like if you start planning too many events, they just ask you to do it yeah. all the time. Um, that's awesome. Uh, what else did I want to ask you? Um, so you grew up in Dubai, and then what? How old were you when you came to the United States? I was sixteen. Wow. Oh my gosh. What was, what was that like? Like, tell uh, us about that. I think I'm, yeah, I think my, my roommate in college could have a lot of things, things has a lot of things to say about this. Uh, I remember, so this is when I, I lived in the dorms. Um, and I remember people occasionally knocking and asking, are you the 16 year old? And I was like, this is great. I already was like a very socially awkward uh, person. I really struggle. Like I've never really like, no, I've never interacted with a lot of people. Um, I had it so bad. I mean, I already was like a lot of people were asking, like I was a borderline autistic in the sense of like, I actually used to hide in the bathroom and uh, like during lunch breaks um, up until maybe like ninth or 10th grade. And I don't know how many people knew that, but yeah, I was always wow. like hiding away from people. So to go from that, um, like- Because which is, you were shy? I was very, I think I was shy and I was very odd and different. And I think at the time I was just very tired of hearing how odd and different I was. Um, and yeah. I think it was something, and again, back to the, the, the imposter syndrome, like you already, some of us already know like there were different. So being told that again, and yeah. again I'm like, all right, I got it. So now I, when people tell me, I'm like, great. Yeah, I know I am cool. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> when you're young though, less cool. You're, you're scared, you're confused. Sure. Uh, so yeah, well, I want to think it's like, like no one knows us better than ourselves, right? Like we're, we're so much more self-aware than other people. So like them telling you how you are is 
just redundant, right? Like exactly, and that's uh, <laughs> but that didn't help necessarily build that social skill set that honestly would have been good to have going into college, living in the dorms in a completely different culture, uh, and uh, mm -hmm. and the Arabic culture is not at all similar. Uh, so yeah, it's a, there's of course a bit, it's a bit more conservative um, than I hear. Uh -huh. And I think a lot of that was also going on that, yeah, the first year I was telling friends, I could honestly, just from the first year of college, I could write a whole book series because every, oh my gosh. there's so many things that I realized, especially since I was so cut off from the world to begin with. Uh, so stepping mm -hmm. into the dorms completely, uh, I mean, I've never seen people drink before. Uh, I'm not kidding. Wow. There's a lot of things. Oh that my gosh. No. So first time I saw that, I was right. like, right. So do people not drink in Dubai? Like I've heard that you can only drink in the hotels or something. So I, I don't, I've never been there, so I don't know. And that they, so they're different, but so they do it's, I mean, it's very, it's Westernized. Uh, but there's, so there's always like the side of like, this is the touristy side. And there's also the people that just grew up or lived there. Um, and they're very mm -hmm. vastly different. Um, and in Dubai overall, I mean, in, in, it's, it's overall a, a religious country. Uh, but yes, there is, because it's Westernized, there is a more um, acceptance of, of uh, things that are not uh, as okay, let's say in, in the religion. Um, so yeah, in hotels you drink, um, you're not usually seeing alcohol around, but people do if, uh, because again, it's, it's more Westernized. There are people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, it's it's most people in Dubai are not from Dubai. Um, I'm technically, for example, my family is originally Syrian Lebanese. Um, even though I was born and raised there, so there's a lot of that. Um, sure. so, so there is, of course, uh, uh, a little more openness than like what I'm saying. But I also was very socially awkward. That as I said, mm -hmm. like I didn't really interact with many people to begin with. So if you already have that, it's, since it's a it's not readily available in front of you, you're not going to see it. Um, right. Okay. So you're in college. You've never seen people drink before. You're 16 years old. Everyone else is 18 or 17. Oh, if not, what? I, knew, I knew people that were 19, 20, even the first year. And, and it was uh, a yeah. special. What did your parents think? Like, were they comfortable with you going into that environment? Uh, I, so they weren't actually, they weren't happy about that idea. And I insisted on it. Now I insisted on it because of course, as a kid, I don't know what they're afraid of. I was, I thought that they're afraid sure. I'm not gonna be able to keep up pace wise with the mm -hmm. vacation. Uh, but at the time, again, I was so shocked where, so honestly, I, that was what the only thing I excelled at at the time um, was, mm -hmm. at, was studying. Like I actually did really well on that side. So I was like, I don't know why you guys are worried about this. Actually, like I'm very good, like comfortable with this. Uh, little did I know that I was missing a completely uh, uh, like compliment opposite side, which is super critical to make it in life. Uh, I don't know how to communicate interact with humans. And uh, <laughs> that was terrifying. Uh, and mm -hmm. Yeah, they were not very happy, but they also knew why I wanted because I wanted to step out of that. I wanted to not always be that shy and scared. Yeah, I'm different, but I don't want to be the scared and shy. I want to actually mm -hmm. embrace it. I want to go beyond the comfort zone and going away from my parents at the time was the way to do it. It's very painful and hard, um, but I knew I needed to do that. Um, and I think they complained less when I because I went to a school like I got a scholarship I was like okay I'm picking the school so it's not going to be ex expensive um mm -hmm. so come on guys um and uh yeah I and think, where did you go 
So I went for undergrad was George Washington. So I did a, a it was an accelerated like bachelor's master's um, mm -hmm. program. So you can- In DC, is that in DC? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And uh, yeah, so I did that. You were in a metropolitan US city yeah. after growing up in Dubai. <laughs> oh yeah, that was, uh, as I said, I even the first night being in the dorms, um, as I said, I've never seen people drunk, so I don't know how people act when they're drunk. And to me, I was like, what planet is this? Uh, it was just completely new. Uh, so I was wow. <laughs> absolutely terrified. But I think there's so much to be gained from stepping out of your comfort zone. And um, I think, I mean, in hindsight, like honestly, there's so many things I, sh I wish I had uh, like known and, and because it was actually pretty scary and chaotic and there's more that go, go on. And again, there's my roommate could elaborate on this and share a lot. <laughs> And I can share a lot if you want to, but I think it is nice to sometimes not just be comp like stay in that place because it is actually even enriching for you ultimately. Like sure. I grew so much from that. Um, yes, it was Absolutely. hard in the beginning, but the person I was before, it's not that it's gone. I'm just, I have another layer to me now and that's something I wanted to get, honestly. Um, and yeah, I think that's something you and I actually have in common is that that drive to push ourselves into these uncomfortable situations like I I did something similar at you know 12 years old I asked my parents if I could go to boarding school because I was growing up in this small town in Wisconsin and I had learned about this school and I just thought it was like a science and technology focused school and I was like the, it, I told them it was my destiny to go there oh. And, you know, so I left home at 14 and I think there's been so many iterations of that, of like, you know, exposing yourself to new things. And that that's part of how we learn. That's part of how we absorb new environments and, and grow as people, right? And grow stronger. Um, and I think, you know, it ties, it ties into both of, both of our drives to experience outdoors as well. Like you've done a lot of um, outdoor exploration. I think it's kind of a, a similar personality trait that, that gets us out there. So it's neat to, neat to hear about your experience, like going to college like that. I just, I, I can't even imagine. See, remember um, teetering at the very edge of chaos. That's why I said, you yeah. know what? Might as well embrace it. It's, we're not running away from it. It's in our, like it's it's who we are um and exactly. i think actually even more fun to to keep it that way i enjoy it but oh i do too i do too i mean even this podcast the first the first episode i interviewed my former ra from isb she worked with me at isb and um she's she goes i'm really nervous and i said i'm nervous too i've never done this before i'm learning how to do this whole new thing as well like this isn't you know it's not just gonna be you it's me as well um but it's i don't know i think <laughs> minus some of my outdoor explorations that have been questionable from a risk standpoint yeah. <laughs> which i had i had a recent experience where a boulder almost a boulder fell and landed like on the rock I had just been sitting on. Um, so I've been I've been taking a bit of a break from my outdoor stuff, but um, you know, minus that, I think uh, it's all about pushing ourselves, right? Like like seeing how far we can go. And 
maybe you can chat about your um, running and trail running and your experience um, going back to Lebanon, right? Is that where you went? Yeah, so uh, I think, it, yeah, kind of like, we do this in science, but we do it also in everything in our lives. And, and it's always, of course, gonna be about the balance. Like, yeah, we do enjoy these things, but it doesn't mean also we're complete idiots. And in some cases, granted I am, but I'm learning not to. So it's not just going out there and just being chaotic. It's it's more of uh, of knowing like when to actually tune it down, like how to tailor it properly. So I actually make the most of this life rather than just end it early. Um, and I think this is uh, what you'd learn. And it's, the outdoors are like one is exactly a perfect example of that because that's not something you can just completely let go of everything because there's uh, a high cost if you're just out there and you don't really take into account the uh, the risks that comes along, like whether it's avalanche danger, whether it is uh, even a, uh, like in my case, which happened actually, so I actually needed rescuing twice. <laughs> uh, oddly wow. enough. Yeah, that was, uh, one was actually embarrassing of a story. Uh, the other one I actually legitimately fell and hit my back uh, and I was alone. Oh my God. And, um, and I think, so these things like, so that's why like it's nature is not, or just being out there and in the outdoors, it's not something you just want to take for granted and, and not appreciate the risk. Um, mm -hmm. So that's part of like, it's fun. It's nice to, to yeah, keep that spirit and do so safely. And I think that's kind of what happens as we learn and we grow older, we start gaining more experience. Um, so like you now taking the time off, for example, that bit of time off is probably gonna give you that bit of like, now I know next time I'm gonna do this. Um, so I go, for example, I let less so alone now. Uh, because I've had oh good yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm the clumsiest and you know what if even if it is so I've I'm, I'm good I, I don't need to I don't need to explore that as much in some cases I'm more okay with it like if it's a trail I'm familiar like around the area that I know uh, but even that ones that are like I know of but they're a little more remote I, I don't do right now for example for me alone um, because it's yeah that's something I learned um, in Lebanon I wanted to go there because uh, I'm originally from there, as I said, um, my parents are Syrian Lebanese, um, but I never lived um, there. And it's part of this, again, this ex the curiosity, always wanting to explore something else, something new. Um, and sometimes we forget just exploring within. Um, there's so much that I don't understand about myself. Um, and a lot of it stems from also a lot of it like culture wise, like I, my culture, I grew up in a very different culture. Um, like there it's family and, and actually just human interaction is the center. I mean, if it's in some cases, it's the main and only thing. Um, so there's so much of that bonding um, where everyone knows not only the neighbor, knows everyone in the village and beyond. Um, and uh, that's something I like didn't pay attention to before because we don't, we, we forget to explore within. Um, but I realized that oddly enough through running because I have all that time to on my own thinking and thing like, and I was like, huh, interesting. I, I, I love that I'm exploring all of this, but I would love to explore where I'm from, um, maybe learn more about it and uh, something I haven't done. And I didn't think of, I couldn't think of a better way to do it than just to go do, the, do it more of the outdoorsy way. And uh, I decided to apply, it was a grant by the Trail Sisters, uh, which you should check out. They're absolutely uh, amazing uh, individuals that 
honestly just want to get people out there um, and want to support us so that they every now and then will have uh, just again scholarships ways to support people to go on things that matter to them and it, they don't have to be extravagant they have to just be meaningful to you um, and I think they saw that in my goal with this uh, trip and that I was proposing um, and so I was grateful that I actually got that grant um, and decided to go uh, I didn't end up unfortunately running the trail but I, I was walking and running when it was thunderstorms and lightning but uh, <laughs> but otherwise not running um, because I had on, my allergies were really that was the first time I've had it bad in Seattle, maybe that's why. Uh, so I actually couldn't run that summer. It was I had developed my asthma, got pretty bad. Um, oh, so wow. I still decided to go because it's something that meant even more than just running. It was uh, just again connecting with things that matter, knowing more about where I come from, and that was an absolutely remarkable trip. Where um, I mean, we'd be going. Uh, two friends actually decided to come along with me, and uh, that was really fun. And uh, they actually ironically were already thinking of going there separate from me. And then they just saw that I got this. It was an announcement. They're like, oh, wow, that's odd. That's out of a coincidence. Um, no so we way. went there and we'd be going walking like full days, um, like 10 hours or so. And then we'd walk and then people, everyone is saying hi. Everyone is chasing you with food. I'm not kidding you. Uh, <laughs> and literally, at one point, they actually were running and throwing food. <laughs> And uh, no I know it's hilarious. And we were, and, and every time we kept on like eating our food, I'm like, oh great, now we have less stuff to carry. Nope, there's more food coming. I'm like, I can't, I can't carry this. <laughs> um, but it was so That's sweet. Amazing. And uh, everyone was insisting like, no, stop by. And uh, we even had a family that waved at us like, no, please come by. And we did. Um, and then they insisted we stay over. Like, no, no, you're not staying anywhere else. You're gonna crash here tonight. And they don't know us. Uh, so they set up everything for us. They even left us their beds. Um, wow. And kept us all the food we want. And then they even left and go, went to see the neighbors for a celebration and left us in the house. So, and we had everything for us. And, and later they came and then prepared dinner and then even breakfast. And they don't know us. Um, and this is something yeah. that I never thought I would like experience because it's not something, yeah, why would I on purpose put a part of a trip? But that's again back to the getting out of your comfort zone, doing something different. Um, so be doing it the different way, going on that trail. Um, that was why we managed to actually do that. And I got to see a side uh, of my culture that I actually was ex exactly what I was looking for. I wanted that, like the bonding with people, that bonding like with each other. Um, that's the side that I wanted to see, even more so than the surround, like than the beautiful uh, scenery. And honestly, that's. I will, I don't think I could ever forget that. And um, yeah, that's comes back again to just going a little the non-traditional way, um, mm -hmm. whether it's in your career or your life, um, it opens up so much like in your mind. And that, that, that trip was absolutely remarkable. And I, I cried even in the airport leaving, which is an even another strange story because I actually was, I left uh, during the, like they had the, revolution then that so people they actually everything was shut down and I actually couldn't make it to my flight because I was strapped in a mountain village because uh, there were riots everywhere uh, and the wow. whole thing was shut down <laughs> so I got rescued by a friend who uh, as I was telling people was just doing aerobics with the car around um, to try to get me to go to the airport so we were going like on top of uh, things and going opposite direction of traffic on highways trying to 
<laughs> make it wow to purchase a last minute like random flight on the spot because i don't know if i'm gonna even get on this uh but even then like everyone was just so gen everyone was trying to help me to make it there um yeah and like they're like no no let let her go like and, and they were running like rushing me um wow and uh yeah what an experience that was I, I won't forget that trip and forever this ever is in, interested or intrigued by Lebanon honestly it's a place that's you won't forget there's a reason people talk yeah. about Lebanon it's absolutely special the place yeah and I have a few friends who are Lebanese um actually one one of our good friends here in Seattle she works at Amazon and um you know I, my heart went out when the the explosion happened earlier this year and she said you know unfortunately that's something that yeah. people are used to there um and uh yeah it was that was like another tragic part of 2020 i feel like was the the explosion in beirut um so i feel like i i cannot i will never appreciate the challenges you've faced from having you know grown up in a place with a very different culture come to the united states as a 16 year old um you know lived on one coast moved to another coast but i do feel a kind of kinship in that within this career field it often takes us away from our families and you're expected to go to undergrad in one place and go do your phd in another place and i was writing about this earlier this year of this like uproot phenomena in scientific research where we move around and we're often really far from our families and our communities and that makes us kind of isolated in a way and I think that's something I've experienced with you know I moved to Seattle seven years ago and I've had opportunities to you know maybe go back to California or go to New York or wherever but I have this hesitancy to uproot myself again because it takes its toll, you know, it takes its toll being away um, from my parents who live in Wisconsin and my sister who lives in Arizona. Um, and I think it's kind of an unfortunate part of this field that like my job or the job that I'm like so well suited to do only exists in these certain places in the world. Um, so I just wanted to say that um, I kind of understand parts of that and how hard it can be. Um, and I think it's neat that we've both found Seattle <laughs> to be such a special home for both science and the outdoors and uh, getting to pursue all of our passions. So, yeah, no, it's uh, I know it's always hard, but yeah, this place just I don't know what it, it just did it as soon the first day I saw it, the first time I laid my eyes on Seattle, I was like, ooh this is this this is it this is nice um and i lived in california also at the time uh, but i think i just kept on finding excuses to go and then to a point where people thought i just lived here and uh yeah it's uh it's always of course hard to be away and i think this is something like for a lot of people like always pay attention to, like what truly matters to you i mean i love science i love spending i and i do that a lot like spend late nights um away and doing my own thing away from my partner um away from a lot of people but it's always good to also stop and think like, okay, what is what is important to me? Um, like for me, like the family and friends and people I love, those are always gonna be, no matter what, honestly, number one. Um, and if it meant that I won't be able to see them at all, no, I actually would 
I would give up everything else. And for me, like that's still going to be the core. Um, and it's different for everyone. So I think it's just good to keep track of like what really matters to you. And before it's like too late or before you realize you're, you, you're actually way behind on what you thought actually matters to you. Um, so yeah, and with science, it's good to sometimes, yeah, take the break if, and whether even, even for your sake, um, I, I decided to take a few days off, uh, last week and I went completely irresponsible and not responding to anyone because I wanted to just honestly take a break and spend time with my partner, um, in the mountains. And, uh, I did that, but it's hard. I struggle with that sometimes, but honestly, it's good to, to think of other things that matter to us, like family and friends and absolutely yeah and i think that's a a great you know kind of message from 2020 out of all the craziness um and chaos that it it has forced us to you know remember our priorities and make sure that that we we have everything in balance so i think i think that's probably a good note for us to maybe end on unless there's anything else you want to talk about no, I think, uh, no, I think it's, uh, I'm glad that it went this way. I hope uh, like other people also can, as I said, like resonate with this or, or, or have a story where it's not the typical, but I honestly don't think it's necessarily not, it's just not maybe perhaps as talked about uh, or not what people think uh, is happening for like in the scientist's life. Um, and I think it's, uh, I'm glad that it went down like that way or out of uh, talking about like the chaotic or crazy experiences that we've had, which are actually far from crazy. It's just maybe perhaps even no, like normal for some, we just don't talk about it or share it. Uh, so I'm glad, yeah, it went that direction. And uh, let's see if others resonate. And uh, yeah, I'm excited yeah. to see the other other people's voices as well. Let's see what everyone else has been with science. Yeah, no, I think that's part of what I want to achieve with this is just you know, being open and honest about our experiences and how, you know, how we became who we are and how different things have shaped us. And I think you really, you really bring um, an exciting voice to the table. And it, you know, it's just, it, that's the kind of thing I want. I want to put that into the hands of others and say, hey, this is, this is who we are as scientists. This is how we think. And, um, you know, just give them power through knowledge right <laughs> exactly i think that's the that's what i saw like exactly the podcast being able to do here are the things that most of us don't realize are there or as common uh, common because no one really shares it and gets a chance to talk about it but i think it's really important especially i mean for those starting into it because then there's still more when you're younger it's hard because you're not as confident you don't know what to expect and uh, there's even more so so i want to get people to realize that oh hey don't don't like it's okay everyone has gone through something everyone has had different experiences um and that's what i could see with this podcast is like hearing all those different voices all the different journeys people have had um you're still a scientist and chances are if you're here doing that there's there, there's no questioning that honestly uh so it 